down in Petersburg, everything's fine. All lamb cats is drinking that wine, drinking that mess is their delight. When you get the wrong, start singing all night, drinking wine, for the you to drink wine. Wine, for you to drink wine. Wine, for you to drink wine. Pass that bottle to me. Drinking that mess is their delight. When it gets a rump, start fighting all night. Knock down windows and tan down door. Drinking half gowns and calling for more. Drinking wine, for the Yodi drink wine. Wine, for the Yodi drink wine. Wine, for the Yodi drink wine. Welcome to Tasting Anarchy, the only libertarian wine show as far as I'm aware. Uh, as always, <laughs> as always, I'm joined by Mason Joseph. And, uh, I am Jacob Lindsay, one of your hosts, the host with the board, I guess. So. Oh, yeah. I don't want to say I'm, I'm the I don't I want to say I'm the lead host. I'm the host with the control of the sound. <laughs> uh, that's the thing is I, I'll say you're the lead host because you've got the board. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> well, I mean, eventually you're, you'll probably end up getting a board as well because it makes it easier to do interviews. As I found out, I guess it, probably by the time that we're put this episode out, it'll be two or three episodes ago that I did. Yeah a uh, interview with our good mutual friend Nathan Tupitza and yes. um and I'm hoping to do some more because he's going to come check out Dallas and he's thinking that oh, really? maybe it's time for him to relocate but uh he doesn't know about Dallas yet so he's going to come down here in I guess probably October when the Texas State Fair is in full swing so that he can enjoy that because it's or the I guess State Fair of Texas um mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it's one of the coolest state fairs around I guess um Big Tex yeah Big Tex which caught on fire a couple of years ago it turns out um, I think it's caught on fire a couple times oh yeah <laughs> well, I, I think so I mean I wouldn't be surprised if stuff was on fire here all the time because it is hot yeah but uh let's go ahead and I guess with that introduction, go ahead and get into the the wine. And this uh this week it's your pick. Although I do have yes. a uh I do have a nice cab here that I'm sit- gonna sip on, but we'll showcase that another time and maybe I'll put a review up on the site. It's Owl Post, which I've had a pinotage from them before, and this is a cab mm. this is a cab. And uh I might have put a review for the pinotage pinotage. I don't know how to say it. I don't think you I don't think you have. But okay. Well, I, I I've got to... I yeah I got several reviews written and saved in the G drive that I got to post, but um, okay. I just haven't gotten around to it yet. And uh I like to write something and kind of come back and read it again to see how it still if it sounds good still. Smart. I like to uh, write stuff and never look at it again. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So. I have the Etude, the Pinot Noir, Estate Grown, Grace Benost Ranch, Canaris, um, 2014 varietal. Um, I'm going to quickly see uh, 14.3% alcohol by volume. Um, so my wife and I were at Kroger, as we uh, often are, mm-hmm. uh, a couple weeks ago, and they had a clearance event with the wine which they do once a year um, for the marketplace ones where they kind of clear out the extra wines they had. So we got three bottles. I think we did one of them that was uh, um, on the show. And then we went back the next week, and for some reason she said, let's try this Pinot Noir. Mm. And we had just had a Pinot Noir, and I was kind of like, this is underwhelming. Oh, and interesting. So, so I, I like I like Pinot Noir. Uh, I wouldn't say it's like my favorite, but it's it's up there. It's one of the ones that I that I enjoy enough that you know I want I keep it around. You know. Yeah. So this one was uh started off as sixty three fifty nine, but I got it for twenty five eighty eight. So mm-hmm. Okay. Um, That's pretty good. Yeah. So the first class I had two and a half weeks ago. Okay. Um I couldn't really tell you much about it. I don't think I got 
hammered that night or had drank a lot where I wouldn't remember it. I just remember it being very bland. Mm. So my mom and my sister, my mom being, as we've talked in the past, uh, you know, much more familiar with wine from a classic wine knowledge sense. Mm -hmm. And my sister's got a lot of that knowledge too. Uh, had come over and they, they featured a wine at my house. Well, not featured, they just had a wine um, that I'm going to do a set of reviews on because I, I was really surprised by the quality of this wine for the price. So oh, okay. heads up for that, people. Um, but I mentioned, my mom was like, oh, I see you didn't offer me any of the good stuff in reference to this. And I was like, well, I didn't think you liked reds, especially oh. not Pinot Noir. She's like, I'll take some. And I was like, okay. And I was like, well, it doesn't taste like much. And they kind of were like, well, the Pinot Noir is supposed to have a very subtle flavor. And I was like, oh, hmm. so it's garbage. Okay. <laughs> like, yeah. From, from that classic, you know, when we first started recording almost a year ago, um, kind of that, oh, you have to know about it to get into it. So right. Yeah. We, we decided since we've gotten into wine, I would not really read much about Pinot Noir's flavor outside of that little bit. Yeah. I knew. And I, I, while I read this, the site's description of this, the company who produced it, mm-hmm. I'm going to taste it and try to see if I can come up with what it would be. Okay. So, so far I've got red wine. That, that's the end of it. It's got a, a pretty good afterburn, but very delayed. Mm. You know, it was, it was about a, a full second and it's still coming on. Okay. Um, I can taste the alcohol in it. Um, not very tannic, which is something I've noticed about the Pinot Noir is not very tannic. No, yep. That's true. Really acidic. It has a strong bouquet, Mm -hmm. but not that reminiscent of anything that I can smell at the moment. Mm. Yeah. It it definitely has a, um, like a grape smell, like kind of like a classic wine smell without kind of giving other notes. Okay. Yeah, I think somebody might say, might say has a bit of plum in it. Okay. Would be a description, maybe stone fruits. Um, there's a little bit of pepper, kind of like that, um, that Chilean, was it Chilean or Argentine variety we got? That, oh, like, yeah, we, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, that was peppery. Uh, and I can't remember what it was called, but, uh, if you, if everybody goes and looks at the titles of past episodes, you'll probably see it. Um, it was, yeah. it was an unusual name. Yeah. Yeah. It was a really good, really good varietal that they usually mix and stuff. And we, we both gotten pure ones of it in the past. Right. And it was very, it was very spicy. Um, I, I could see that. Uh, yeah. So notes on the wine itself. It has a, a depth of flavor that I know I'm not picking up on fully. Okay. And it's kind of like, is the depth of flavor the price point of the wine? You know, being a around a $60 bottle of wine. Now, earlier in the day, I was trying to find this one on their website before we kind of came up with that plan of trying to describe it mm-hmm. you know, to people without looking at the notes too much. And I couldn't really find this year's. Right. But the 2015 and 2016 were there. And they were a little more expensive than what I paid for the discount of this. So it seems like the 2014 might have been a, either a good year or Kroger just had a high markup on it mm-hmm. to put the discount on it. Because that's one of the things I've never checked and been like, oh, I knew this bottle of wine was a $70 bottle of wine that they've marked down to 30 or something right. like that. Well, I can I can answer that because um, I've got oh. – I've got it. I don't – I have it from wine.com, which usually gives a range of prices. Oh. Mm-hmm. Um, so they put 
They put the 2014, which is currently unavailable, but they're estimating that it it should be about 37.99 a bottle. <laughs> so now I I wonder if that's because so certain wines peak yeah. at a certain age. Yep. So I wonder if this is a varietal of wine that is not a long aging wine. So I wonder yeah, if that that's could be. A, well, you know, like, and you and I have discussed this before. There's a lot of places that are uh, heavy wine drinkers, and they don't make wine there to age. It's mm-hmm. it's made to have with you know you know I guess if you're in France you know to have with your baguette or whatever uh, mm-hmm. right after it's bottled, or maybe not right after it's bottled, but bottled you know within a couple maybe a year or so you'll you'll probably be drinking that. It's not one that you like. Yeah, once they put it on the market, you're not really supposed to get it off the market again and put it away. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So that could be, that might be the, I guess, the deal. Um, Yeah. And I, and I wouldn't know with Pinot Noir. I I can go over kind of the, the notes in the Wine Folly book, uh, which you and I, or I had a little bit of confusion because you were like, check Wine Folly. And I read their blog a lot. So I was like, ah, well, mm-hmm. maybe they'll have a review for this on there. And I went and looked at that. I don't see a review for it. But what you meant was the Pinot Noir varietal. Yes. Um, and so I'll give just kind of a, a, a breakdown of this. Now, this is a um, California grown Pinot Noir, correct? Yes. So they say for California Pinot Noir, it's the typical, um, the typical, I guess, profile is uh, raspberry and clove. Uh, that is that would be the dominant flavors on it. But it just depends on where on where you get it. Because if you get it from like France, Germany, Italy, or Oregon, mm. cranberry and mushroom is going to be the dominant. The dominant. Ooh, that sounds really good. Yeah, I, I, I hope I remember that because now I want to make a cranberry and mushroom chicken. Oh, that would be interesting. Yeah. Now, so. Obviously, one of the one of the things that we're gonna hurdles we're gonna have to get over on the show is our both lack of verbiage for describing wines. Mm-hmm. Because what was great when we were both tasting wines is you would get a word that I wasn't able to get out. I'd get a word you weren't able to get out, or a descriptor that right. fit better what we were feeling than what we were able to say. Because when you tell me raspberry and clove, I don't have a strong flavor profile in my mind for clove mm-hmm. but i can see raspberry in this not as like my, my daughter eats like frozen raspberries all the time yeah and they're super tart and this isn't tart this is like you um it's like you took a raspberry that had been frozen and so it's kind of like a, a juiced raspberry right and rubbed it on a piece of bread and then rubbed that piece of bread on something else mm. so i can i can see that in this so i've never so, really been crazy about raspberries in general like victoria eats raspberries quite a bit and to me they just have they have so little flavor Mm -hmm. they're they're not even really that sweet they're just kind of like to me nothing uh yeah, I, I, I like raspberries a lot, but I think I like the texture of raspberries. That could be. See, I, I, I like for the berries that are in that structure. I guess the little, the little beady structure. Mm-hmm. I, I much, much prefer blackberries. My, my problem with blackberries, and I, we've had this conversation before. Yeah. My problem with blackberries is I always want them to be more intense than they are. I never get them. Like if I went picking them, I right. think they'd be great. Yeah. Well, you got to come up to Vashon Island with me sometime and go to church camp and uh that is like peak blackberry picking season at the peak mm-hmm. blackberry picking region <laughs> and i used to go i used and i probably talked about this on the show but i used to go there with a uh like you know those toy mechanical claws yes. that you like you pull the handle and then the tip closes mm-hmm. so i got one of those when i worked at toys r us and i would and i'm also six five so 
I would go and like with the mechanical claw and pick the blackberries that were way too high or way too deep in the bush for anybody else to pick and get like just <laughs> these massive, juicy, like super delicious, very ripe, not overly ripe, but like very juicy and stuff and just pick them and then give them to little kids and watch them like smear it all over their face and stain their clothes and stuff. Hilarious. <laughs> but they're also just super tasty. But basically, you played the perfect uncle to my daughter, even though she wasn't born yet. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. So, like, here you go. I, we've got pictures of my of my nephew uh, with just, like, blackberry all over his face. I mean, I'm sure there's pictures of me from around that same age with at Burton also at the same camp with just blackberry, like, smeared all over me. And, you yeah. know, it's just that's what people do when, when you don't have anything else to do up there at that camp is you just go out and start picking blackberries. <laughs> I mean, because there, there's an ungodly amount of them there. Yeah. So what was the, uh, from wine.com, what was the description of this specific wine? I will read it. And it's... uh so a, a two day, how, how do you say it? Do you think a, a two day? I think it's supposed to be like attitude, like a tude. Oh, a tude, Caranoros Estate Pinot Noir 2014. Mm-hmm. So it says, uh, it says, well, here's the winemaker's notes is what they put up. So, and it may be the same as what's on the back of the bottle. So it says the Caranoros Estate Pinot Noir intrigues with its rich array of red cherry, wild strawberry, pomegranate, pomegranate raspberry and spice uh the core of red fruit is made complex with layers of sassafras sandalwood and baking spice that build in intensity through the finish uh with an opulent mouthfeel that's interesting because this according to wine folly this is a very light-bodied red um so or <laughs> pinot noirs are lighter bodied so with a very op- mm. but but maybe opulent more means like silky i'm not sure um but with an opulent mouthfeel and ideal uh, natural acidity, the wine has significant substance and depth, yet stays lively and lift uh, and lifting throughout. And then uh, they've got they've actually got a big summary of the vineyard, and then kind of uh, just a, a description of what Pinot Noirs are like, and particularly from that region. Uh, wine Wine.com's actually got a lot of cool stuff, and they also have a picture of the vineyard. Yeah. So. Uh, if you guys want to take a look at that, wine.com says that, that the 2014 is currently unavailable, but the 2016 is $44.99, um, and mm. you can order it from them, or you can get it from the retailers that they suggest. Yeah, I would say, uh, um, so... And I like the bottle. Wait, yeah, so I, I, I did suss out the raspberry. I did suss out spice, but pepper. Mm-hmm. And then they said spice, and then they said baking spice, and baking right. spice is rarely pepper. Yeah, so. yeah, usually isn't baking. Well, but you know, clove is sometimes included in baking spice, and because yeah, clove has got really... yeah. Okay, well that's right, because you were saying you don't really know clove. Like I cook with clove a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I do cook with pepper as well, but I do I use clove a lot of times instead because it it's spicy, but it's also got a little bit of like a sweeter. It's actually mm-hmm. I, I would put it more akin to white pepper. So. Mm-hmm. So, and and that's one of the reasons I use white pepper a lot when I'm cooking as well, because white pepper has like a, a s- little bit of sweetness to it. It's not sweet exactly, but it's got a different a different. It doesn't have the sharpness. Yeah, of yeah. Black pepper. Yeah, and black pepper is great with a lot of stuff. Like I I love black pepper on like tuna, for example. I think black pepper mm. goes really well with tuna, but I think white pepper goes really well with like pork, and and I think clove also goes really well with pork, and it's got yeah, sort of no sweeter. And, yeah, well, you know me, I'll put black pepper on anything. <laughs> That's true, and I and I will too if it's you know yeah. if it's available. So yeah, so 
I, here's what I will say. If you like Pino Noirs and you've got a little bit of money to splurge, mm-hmm. I don't think you'll be disappointed because the other Pino Noir I had was a tier lower than this and one, you know, $10 lower than this in initial price according to the sticker from, mm-hmm. you know, uh, Kroger. So who knows what it really started out as. And, it, you know, I got it in the $20 range. And this is a better bottle of wine. Like, there's more to it. I can tell there's stuff I don't know about it, and I don't know. It's kind of like, you know, you're drinking, like, Pinot Grigio. It's like, I know there's more here. I'm not getting it. Right. But I enjoyed this bottle of wine. Right. Now, if I had paid $63 for this, I'd be a little disappointed. Right. Because I I don't experience enough of it, and I I don't feel that consuming the entire bottle or consuming half a bottle that I'll unlock that mm. in in the journey. Whereas like yeah. the like the Pina cab that we had. Which was really you know, very good. Yeah. Very expensive bottle of wine for us at this price at our current price points. But there was no mystery to it up front. Like you didn't go like, I know I'm missing something. You mm-hmm. tasted it and you're like, there's so much here. Right. And then you had more of it and you're like, and there's still more to find. Right. But what you did find each time was so good. Uh-huh. And it like completely different than every other cab we've had. Right. Like, what is this? And yeah. Whereas like, you know, maybe, maybe I, you know, if I had 10 or 12 more paint on the wall, I'd go back to this and be like, oh, that's this or something like that. Right. But like, I think, you know, if you gave anybody who was open to red wine, a glass of pina, they would, and you didn't tell them the price, they'd be like, this is a good glass of wine. Right. Like, there's a lot here, there's a lot going on, this is very flavorful, I really like this. Whereas, like, this one, it's like, I know there's stuff here, I'm just not getting it. And I don't right. know if it's deficiency for myself or deficiency in the wine. So, hmm. you can get it on sale, and, you know, looking as far as a little bit. Right. I mean, it's, you know, 14.3% alcohol by volume, so it could be, you know, 13 to 15. Right. You know, you, you're not going to not be a little relaxed yeah. by it. So unless right. you're, you know, a noir fanatic and then you taste this and you're like, this is trash. Right. <laughs> Well, you know, I just, I had, I had the other day, like, cause I was talking to somebody at work about the show a little bit and, uh, just the wine portion of it. I haven't really gotten into being a crazy anarchist yet. I mean, they all know because <laughs> like when I, you know, come into a room, I'm like, Hey everybody, I'm an anarchist, but, uh, <laughs> but no, uh, I was just, I was saying, yeah, you know, we do a podcast and it's about wine. And mostly the idea is that neither one of us are experts and we're just trying to sort of have a good reason to start trying new stuff and Mm -hmm. to kind of gain a little bit of knowledge about it. But I was talking to this guy at work who's really into cars. And I said, like, I I think that the, it would be like if somebody was trying to get into cars. So like I drive a Fiesta, you drive a Fiesta. They're not the greatest Mm -hmm. cars in the world. He drives this Pontiac that to me looks like a car, but Mm -hmm. there's all sorts of cool stuff about it that he's like, Oh, and it's got this and it's got this and it's got this. And like, and to me, like if I had that same Pontiac, I would just be like, it's a car. And, uh, yeah. and, or like, you know, on the very, very high end, if somebody's like driving a Bugatti or something like that, it's like, okay, I can tell it's a fancy car, but mm-hmm. I, I don't know what makes it so great that you'd want to pay, you know, a hundred thousand dollars or whatever those types of cars cost. And I think it's sort of the same thing with wine where you and I are right now is that we got that, that Pina, which would be like for us, at least the Bugatti or whatever of wine. 
and it's a hundred dollar bottle of wine almost. And, uh, and we're like, wow, we can, you know, we can tell that this is a really fancy bottle of wine. It tastes really good and all that. And I'm sure if we drove a Bugatti, we'd be like, wow, we can tell this is a really fancy car and that it, and it, you know, drives really well and all those types of things. Um, but then like that Pontiac that he said was really cool. That might be more like this, uh, wine that you're drinking right now. The, uh, Etude Carnosa or whatever. Carnosa. You just call it Pinot Noir. Yeah. Yeah. That Pinot Noir where it's kind of like, if you're into Pinot Noirs, you probably could tell like there's cool stuff about it. And after he told me all these things in his car that are cool, I was like, okay, I can see if you're into, if you're really into cars, like those things probably matter. Mm -hmm. But for me, I'm at like Fiesta level where it's just like, well, you know, it gets good mileage and I got a hatchback so I can put, you know, a lot of stuff in the back and and that's good enough for me. So that's the thing is like, you're, you know, it's kind of like you and I with computers these days. Yeah. We used to be into having like, Oh, the most powerful computer we could. Right. But now it's like, I, I go out and I'm like, I could buy a $10,000 computer. Mm-hmm. And while I dream of buying like the new, the current high end Mac, mm-hmm. uh, iMac Pro, just because of a bunch of stuff about it, but like I don't practically need that. And mm-hmm. I know like I'd be disappointed with it because I'd be like, what, what can I do? And then I'm like, well, I'm on Reddit again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Or I'm recording the podcast, you know, like yeah. I, I would be underusing this this thing. And well, that's you know, I, I kind of I kind of ran into that same thing several years ago, probably around the same time you did, where like I've got a a 2009 Samsung laptop that I pretty much do everything on. It's Linux, and it does the basic things that I need it to do. It like I'm trying to learn Russian, so like it runs Rosetta Stone um, because Rosetta Stone now is web based and. Mm-hmm. So it runs Rosetta Stone. It does the recording for the podcast. It locks up occasionally if I'm doing like a lot of heavy work on it, but Mm -hmm. the heavy work would be sound editing. And if it locks up because of the sound editing, editing, it just restarts and I just get back to sound editing. So like it does what I need to do. And I, I used to be really into Linux and like customizing it and all that sort of stuff. But like I customized, customized this one years ago and was, and now I, I probably could figure it out, but it's just like, eh, I just wanted to do, yeah. do what I wanted to do. Yeah. And that's the, that's the thing. It's like, there's so much more out there that I'm interested in. Yeah. And like, you know, I've been looking into like, I'm, I'm going out to a conference for work in Utah Yeah, and it's nice to have a laptop at the conference so you can take notes. Right. But my laptop doesn't hold the charge for anything anymore. Right. And I'm like, I could get a Chromebook. Yeah. And, and when Chromebooks, when, well, well, you know me, I'm like, oh, I'd like a Chromebook that actually functioned pretty well. And oh, it's like, that's yeah. $1,200. And yeah, like, yeah, yeah. For a computer that doesn't work if you don't have the internet or right. barely works if you don't have the internet. Okay. So, <laughs> yeah, that, that's the thing is the last time I went out there, I went out there with an internet enabled surface. Um, and the conference had Wi-Fi, so it worked out pretty well. And, right. and I could take some notes, but probably the problem was like most of the stuff I wanted to take notes on, it worked just as well to write it down. Mm-hmm. Like I, I couldn't log into our live system and make changes. Like it mm-hmm. was like, just take notes. So I'm thinking like going back in my head and thinking about that experience and going like, yeah, you really don't need that. And so, but enough about the wine. Mm-hmm. I think we have at least two articles I suggested and you have probably a backlog of like a million of them. At I, this I, point. Yeah, I do have a lot, but there's one that it's a short one that I just kind of wanted mm-hmm. to bring up. And it's, you know, I'm trying to, we, we go off on these like long tangents and stuff about different things. And so every week I just kind of want to bring up something related to wine mm-hmm. uh, just because it's interesting. And there is a lot of stuff about wine that as we get more into it, that is just doesn't necessarily relate to anarchy or anything, but mm-hmm. uh, relates to business and is just interesting. 
Like there's just a lot about wine that is like, it, and and I can I can totally understand why why wine snobs get into the world of wine because there is a lot of really interesting things going on. Mm-hmm. And the article that I have this week is from Decanter Magazine again, which I read a lot, uh, just because they've got a lot of really interesting articles. Like this this week actually they had another article that was the top. Uh, uh, I think it was. Maybe it wasn't Decanter, but there was like the top five wines from Lidl. Because mm-hmm. uh, I think Decanter is mostly a British circulation or, or European circulation. But um, anyways, that's not the article that I wanted to talk about. The article I wanted to talk about was – it was interesting. It was, uh, The uh, article is uh, Bordeaux Chateau Test Algae to Fight Mildew. And what um, – mm-hmm. And this is something I learned also just since we've been getting into wines and stuff like that, that one of the – things that's really that's growing in popularity is like all natural wines or wines that don't have any pesticides used and um and like we talked about that one farm in new zealand that was using those midget sheep to Mm -hmm. keep the weeds down and uh the other one like it was i think it was in france or maybe italy that was using ducks to like eat bugs because chickens will eat the grapes but ducks will just go out and eat the bugs Mm -hmm. so they would like herd out the ducks to eat all the bugs and then they would later on kill the ducks for food to serve with the wine kind of and mm-hmm. so this one is uh, that they're that they're taking this uh, special algae, I guess, that they discovered in the Atlantic, um, and they are doing some sort of process to it because they realize that it has like antifungal properties, mm-hmm. and so they they'll, they'll just take this algae out and they're basically just mixing it in and then you know applying it to the plants to fight the the mildew because mildew is a, a very big problem with wine and there's actually there's a there's a, a really unusual type of wine that they allow to mildew and then mm-hmm. they and then like the the grapes are super super ripe and all gunky and gross and they they ferment that and they make a special dessert wine out of it but most of the time they don't want it to mildew because they want the grapes to be picked and uh, a large portion of most harvests are thrown away because they have some sort of mold on them where they're too ripe or something along those lines uh-huh. well this uh atlantic algae is showing to have like a 50 percent success rate against uh this particular type of mildew um which is is pretty good because most of the I guess mildew asides or whatever, the, the chemicals that they usually put on it don't really have that much higher of a success rate in fighting the mildew. So uh-huh. I just thought that was an interesting article, and it's also kind of like opens, I guess, the listener's eyes, and it opened my eyes, to a lot of what uh, goes into growing these grapes. There's so many things that they have to think about, and uh, you know, just from like how much sunlight. And this is one of the things, too, that uh, I learned about was that, uh, you know, like when we read bottles, we're always like, well, I don't know why it matters if it's on like the bottom of the hill or the top of the hill or whatever. Uh-huh. But apparently like where you plant it, the amount of shade it gets, the amount of sunshine it gets, the amount of drainage it gets, uh, you know, they'll, they do these, they, they dig these holes in the middle of vineyards really deep just to see like, uh, what's the soil on this side? What's the soil on this side? So if the soil is like three feet down, it's clay. Those, uh-huh. those grapes are going to have a different, if the clay is like, uh, at a, an incline. So it, it so uh-huh. then like on this side, it's three feet and on this side, it's six feet. The one that's on the six feet, their roots can go deeper, and so you'll have a you'll have a, a larger harvest from those grapes, and they'll have they'll be more nutrient rich. So they'll it'll mm-hmm. change the wine profile. So, and a lot of these French wine, well, all over the world, all the wineries do it now. Is they'll they'll be like, well, this is from that part of the vineyard, and it's got like more gravel in the soil, which makes the wine more like this, and. And apparently, like, they, they'll bottle it and they'll put it on there that this is from this part of the vineyard. And 
the people who live in that area, like the the people who work the vineyards and things like that, they'll they'll be like, oh yeah, I know that I only like, or not I only like, but like the the better wine is the wine that's from on top of that hill on the left side because it gets more of the sun and the gravel is like there's less gravel and the clay is like nine feet down, so that uh-huh. produces the best, and that's kind of how they like they price out the grapes. So yeah, so really this, interesting. This makes this makes me think of. Something we've talked about in the past. I don't know if we've brought it up on the show, but no, I, I know I brought this up on the show. Yeah. Diversification caused by government influence. Right. So like in France where there's so much dedicate, you know, so much law surrounding wine mm-hmm. that, you know, you had to have these purity laws and you had to like hit these specific marks and, you know, all these things to be, say, European on the war or something like that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Americans would come out and be like, well, you know, we can't really beat the French at this game, supposedly. And then, you know, like they're just like blending these, you know, huge vats of them together, not really caring where they come in the, the wineries. But then they're like having to notice that they get weird off flavors yeah. from different ends of the field or when different things happen. Mm-hmm. Plus, I mean, they've known forever, like too much sun, too little sun can really affect the way the wine tastes. Right. But I think it's an interesting thing to see where like in the United States, there used to not be a lot of rules about wine. Right. Like you want to say you're a Pinot Noir, you're a Pinot Noir. Like, you know, they, no one cared. Right. Or no one could come again at you and say otherwise. So, but then, you know, they, people started having to, and I think this might be kind of one of those things where it's like the U.S., didn't have these weird competition rules. So like mm-hmm. the French started having to go like, well, no, 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 this is from the circular hilltop on blah, blah, blah field right. to try to compete again. And mm-hmm. then the Americans are like, well, we can do the same thing except we have, you know, 7,000 times the acreage because right. we're, you know, a million times your size or something. Yeah. So yeah. it's an interesting thing to me. And I would love to have somebody who's more professionally, trained in this sort of research look into this where it's mm-hmm. is this sort of diversification merely a byproduct of just the science being able to you know actually look at the variables and control and test and see or and you know you, you know you have guys who've been making wine for 55 years on the same plot of land and they're like yeah late sun that that harvest is going to be weird right and this is this is how it's going to affect it if we do this because like that's what's so amazing about some of these guys who make who've been making wine for so long yeah you know they'll go in and be like well we need to do this now why mm-hmm. well when we you know in 54 or in 84 94 and 2016 these things happen and we did this and it corrected for this issue that we're going to develop right and like, it's amazing how much you can control for, like, by tasting, you know, like, with the places where they taste the wine throughout, and they can make adjustments by getting more heat to the barrel, less heat yep. to the barrel, yeah. and all these things to drive, like, a more consistent variety. And now people are like, no, 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 do everything the same except for only put the stuff from this edge of the, the vineyard in. Right. Like, that's so interesting to me that, like, you have these little sub-variations, and it's like, how much of that is driven by pure consumer demand? Well, yeah, I'm not sure. And, like one of the things that I, you know, I watched a documentary on it not too long ago, and it was actually an Australian guy that they were interviewing, and he said, like back in Europe, um, you used to, you you pretty much put your hands on grapes twice, uh, once at once at you know the beginning of the year and once at harvest. Mm-hmm. And he says, like, but since it's since our since it's all basically expanded. Um, 
to all of these other places around the world and stuff like that. And he didn't say it this way, but it was it was clear to me that the implica- implication was that Americans and the Australians and the New Zealanders and all that sort of stuff were not nearly as snobby about it. Mm-hmm. And he says that like, yeah, we we t- go out and check these things like every day, and mm-hmm. if and if it's like there's too much light. We can add some shade. If there's too little light, we can take some of the uh, leaves off. We can make sure that the grapes are exposed to the sun so that they'll they'll ripen more evenly. Because if you have a little bit of shade on one half of the bunch and not on the other half, you'll have an unevenly riped uh, bunch mm-hmm. of grapes. And um, he says we go out there all the time. If we if we see that there's like the beginning of a mildew problem, we can we can you know nip that in the bud. And he's like we've you know through the I guess the new world. Uh, method of growing grapes, they've been able to increase productivity so much compared to what they used to do in Europe. And, and Europe has adopted a lot of these same techniques. Um, that also, you know, advent of refrigeration and machining and all that sort of stuff has also increased a, a great deal. But it, it's the, like, the new world just wasn't so stuck in the tradition. They mm-hmm. were, they were more in the mindset of product productivity. They're like, well, how do we make this acre more productive? And, also, um, and that has changed wine a lot as well. And that was, you know, cause they were kind of cross interviewing people in Europe and people in parts of the new world. And in Europe, they were going like, well, we've done it this way for, you know, this many years or whatever. And it produces this wonderful wine. And then they would interview the Americans. They're like, yeah, but they don't get the productivity. And then they'd interview like a, a wine, uh, sommelier or whatever, the wine sommelier would be like, look, they're both really good wines, um, but you're getting more good wine out of California than you're getting out of these traditional vineyards in France, whether that's because the ground is spent or because the New World vineyards know how to add stuff to the soil to make wine taste a particular way, and it's it's down, you know, literally down to a science. They know exactly what to do to make things taste a certain way, and granted, there's, you know, factors of nature that there's nothing you can do about it, but like when I go back to my part of California, which is not known for wine growing, mm-hmm. it is covered in vineyards now. Yeah. And and just like in people's backyards, they've got vineyards because it's such a big industry now and it's something that you can do. You know how to do the soil additives. If you if you take care of it, you can produce some, you know, okay wine at home and it's got your own TLC in it. So Yeah, uh, it's like my, my aunt and uncle who have like six trestles. Yeah. Or something like that. I really want to try the wine that was produced off of theirs just to see. So this leads me to two thoughts, and one is leading into the next article that I want to discuss. Okay. Um, but the first one is, so, like, if you ever watch a baking show, mm-hmm. so there's there's the baking show or the cooking show called America's Test Kitchen. Yeah. And they control for every variable they can all mm-hmm. the time. And then you see Martha Stewart, and Martha Stewart is very exact, but she's like, look, I've been baking for 45 years. Right. I know what I'm doing. Yeah. And I think that's kind of one of the things that the Europeans fail to recognize about some of their heritage is, you know, let's say 1955. Mm -hmm. The guys who were growing wine in France in 1955 have been growing wine since the turn of the century. Mm Mm-hmm. They've seen the the terrible winters that were in World War One and World War Two, mm-hmm. the insane rain seasons in World War One, the same winters in World War Two. They know all of these things and they know all of these controls. So I wonder how much of a loss those industries face, especially in the you know the big wine producing countries that are in mainstream Europe, so France. Right. Spain and Italy that have these huge social safety nets. How many people are lost to the industry with this intense knowledge mm-hmm. of 
oh, crap, there's a fire three fields over. It's not my field, but I need to get that field out because the sulfur content that is going to go into the air. You know, those right. sort of things where it's like they inherently know. And how much of the, the new world science of getting wine to taste a certain way was merely trying to make it taste like European wine. Right. Whereas yeah. now it's like, well, we can sell in our own market and it doesn't matter if it tastes like a Pinot Noir. Like, because I was looking a little bit about Pinot Noir and one of the things that I noticed about it on the Wikipedia article mm -hmm. was exactly what you were saying about, like, it really depends on where it's grown. Right. And this wine, more than any other wine, it seemed to really be different mm -hmm. in different areas. Like, you know, we've, we've mentioned it with Grigio where, like, they taste different depending on the area. But, like, you have some Americans that taste like European. And then you have one where they're just like, no, 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 we we just are, we're going to do the American Grigio flavor. And then New Zealand comes in and you're like, this is completely different. Right. Like, this is grassy. This has got more lemon than pear or peach and those sort of things. So, but that also leads me to the idea of the consumer demand. Right. So in Europe, if you don't hear consuming wine more frequently, mm -hmm. then, hey, it doesn't necessarily matter if this wine tastes different. Right. Because, you know, you're just like, I want it to taste like Greek, you know, Pinot Grigio or Pinot mm -hmm. Noir. Yes, I would like to taste a good wine, but I'm going to drink this entire bottle this evening. Mm -hmm. And I can go get another one from a different vineyard just down the street. Right. So this leads me into this recent explosion of... Um, deciding that plastic straws are the biggest contributor to uh, environmental damage, even though the measure of all the plastic in the ocean comes from seven countries and they're all in Southeast, Southeast Asia, oh, including yeah. China, like has nothing to do with the United States, even though we supposedly use like, in the article I sent you, they, they like yeah. quote either a million straws a day or 500 million. Yeah. I, I got <laughs> really disparaging. I yeah. I can't remember, but yeah, uh, no, no, no. It was, there was two numbers given. Oh, oh, and it okay. was like, it was like they were trying to say, like, we use a million or, like, 500 million. It was just an insane number, but, like, no one giving any statistics. And the people who produced this statistics were, like, clear environmentalists. It wasn't, like, yeah. some researcher at, researcher at, like, you know, Radford University was just, like, you know, we, we polled all the insurance, the straw selling companies about mm -hmm. how many straws they sold a year. Right. And they sold this many, and there are only seven of them. And if they're selling this money, we can assume 20% aren't used, you know, mm -hmm. something like that. And so, like, there's this push on, right, you know, customers aren't demanding it, mm -hmm. like a lack of straws. If we're using a million straws, uh, America has 300, 300 million people. If you use a million straws a day, mm -hmm. that would be in roughly a year. Every American uses a straw once. Right. And I know I use straws multiple times a week. I've got a daughter who... You know, it's two, like, she needs straws because she can't pick up cups. And, like, Starbucks, the environmentally friendly company, right. had to come up with a, because California has banned drinking straws, or yeah, yeah. cities are beginning to ban them. They had to come up with a, an, a what is called the adult sippy cup by detractors and, you know, people taking the piss out of them. That well, ends up so, using more plastic than straws. Yeah, well, it's so funny, though, to me about that is that, like, they've always had those coffee cups where you just – I don't know if Starbucks has always had it, but, like, when you get, when you go get a coffee from, like, the lobby or something, like, mm -hmm. you, it's just you fold up the top, and it's like, a, it's like a cup with a lid, but it's got, like, a tab, so you just open the yeah. tab. So I, I don't know why they had to come up with, like, a new, a new top. They exist already. Because it's cold drinks. Oh, okay. 
yeah, I, I don't quite under, and, and this is something I don't really know either. That's a good question. Um, and it's not my answer. It doesn't, shouldn't sound as flippant as it did. Right. Um, but like, so I go to Starbucks as you know, Yeah. and most of the time I get a cold drink and when I get a cold drink, they give you a straw and it's in a, a different, completely different cup than a hot drink. And a hot drink has oh, that okay. sippy cup like you're talking about. Yeah. And so, but like they came up with this completely different sippy cup and like it uses more plastic than the straw. Okay. And like, yeah. What's the, why so, did they do that? Yeah. Well, yeah. the thing is like I, so, I use straws a lot cause there's a seven 11 on our, on Foxy's in my walking path. Mm-hmm. And I, I bring a refill is like, 15 cents cheaper or whatever, but I always go in and get the refill. So I bring my, mm-hmm. my cup and straw back every single time. But, mm-hmm. uh, I also use my straw to stir any protein shake I have or any, you, you know, I, I, I'm like the king of reusing stuff. So like mm-hmm. I use my straws to stir stuff. I use chopsticks to stir stuff. I, you know, anything that needs to be stirred, I, I just go look and find something that can stir it. So eventually if the, uh, if like the straw gets, you know, crusted in protein powder or something like that you know i'll just i'll just be like eh, i'll get a new one and just throw the straw away bring the lid back throw the lid back when i get back when i get to the place put more diet dr pepper in it and then be on my way <laughs> and and save 20 cents or whatever because i brought the cup yeah. back um but they could always do that sort of thing at starbucks like i don't know if they give you a discount if you bring back because my, my dad collects those starbucks cups mm-hmm. you know like that's his thing right now um, you know, my dad is like me. He get, he gets on like these things where he's like, oh, I'm doing this now. And, mm. uh, so right now one of his things is he's collecting Starbucks cups from around the world. Cause he go, he goes all over the place. And, uh, mm-hmm. and, and apparently like he sold a bunch of them cause they, they are worth a bunch of money on eBay. Some of them, <laughs> which is crazy to me, but he's like, oh, oh yeah, this, this, yeah, this one was worth like 50 bucks. So I sold it on eBay. And, uh, but, uh, so it's, it's like a thing, like collecting Starbucks cups, apparently the thing, but yeah, so I don't know if he gets Starbucks- a discount for like bringing your cup in, but that would be a good way if they really want to discourage people from using plastic is give, give people like a 30 cent discount for bringing in their own cup. And- well, they do. Oh, do they? Okay. Yeah. So Starbucks has a discount for if you bring your own cup. And they also sell cold cups. So they have cold cups and hot cups. And, Mm -hmm. you know, they being a company that is afraid of litigious consumers and selling hot beverages, they won't, you know, if if you have a cold cup, they won't put a hot drink in it, Mm. which increases the amount of cups you need to buy from them. But so Starbucks for a very long time, you know, I used to have these very big, like, hunking plastic cups from Starbucks with the, like, straws that you can't pull out of the top. Oh, yeah, yeah. on them. Right. So, you know, and you get 10 cents off or something like that. I, I don't remember what it was. Um, but, you know, they, they could tell. A lot of times they could tell you the break even with the reusable cups. Right. Now, so what Starbucks also started doing several years ago is they came up with a $1 plastic cup. Because, you know, they all their cups were like $15 or more in the oh, store. okay, yeah. So the break even was hundreds and hundreds of visits whereas like they made this dollar cup where you know it's a dollar it's plastic it it doesn't really have great thermal retention like some of the crazy cups they have and stuff like that but it has a clip-on lid and you know you go in there and it's a dollar and they give you 10 cents off your drink if you come in with that cup so you come in you know and 10 drinks you paid for the cup 
Right. And with their rewards program, like that pays for itself too. Yeah. So they've increased it to a dollar since then. But like, you know, they had this problem because they were like, oh, you know, you bring in your own cup, you get a discount. And like the problem was no one was bringing in their own cup. So they came up with this other cup idea. But like part of what was so infuriating to me about that article was they, in Santa Barbara, Mm -hmm. if a waiter gives you a straw, it's a thousand dollar fine per straw. Yeah, and up and to and up to six months in jail. Yeah, per straw, and yeah. you can't use biodegradable straws. Right. So no consumer has asked for this. It's just the government deciding that we know what's best for you. Right. So there are a couple of ways I wanted to attack this position. So one of the things that I think is interesting about like libertarian anarchy society mm-hmm. is would a restaurant be willing to accept? your waste as part of their service right and you know people have been are immediately like well yes they would well maybe maybe not yeah because in a situation where pollution mm-hmm. is a it's not a moral hazard yeah. it's an actual violation of my rights when right. you pollute yep. so you have to bake into your price of your goods the cost of disposing of the goods right and then if it can be shown that you and this is one of those ones where i don't know if it would this may be me overthinking it in our litigious society as opposed to the true anarchy society yeah but like if it can be shown that you're recklessly selling your straws to customers who don't properly dispose of them are you culpable in non-due diligence for sales so that's not a point i necessarily want to discuss that's something i want to think about on my own okay but like that's kind of the idea like to me is like a customer says i want a straw right and the government is the one who tells you no like and i understand that there are some things that i have a very hard time like coming up with a libertarian response like child pornography Uh i I don't i know there's a libertarian response to like the sale of that right i just don't know it off the top of my head and it's one of those things where i'm like nope you know i just don't care like i Prison seems okay to me for that. And yes, I, I recognize the um, maybe the wine is affecting more than I think it should. Um, the I recognize the problem of my own thought process in regard to that. That's fine. Right. But like the idea that I want a straw, and I am saying either I am willing to take the necessary precautions to dispose of this properly. Mm-hmm. Or I'm willing to pay you more to do so. Right. But Santa Barbara said you can't have one and you can't even have the quote biodegradable end quote version of it. So like, you know, people saw this coming as a problem and, you know, right. good on the good on the business people who may have come and said like, crap, they're going to ban straws and we only make straws. We got to come up with another alternative. Right. Well, so, he, uh, well, here, let me let me give you some well, well-read Jacob knowledge. Um, and, uh, you know, peek behind the curtains, I had to look this up because I couldn't remember who, who the authors were. But there's there's two good authors on uh, Mises that have written mm-hmm. not specifically about straws. And, and this is – the reason that I remember this is because uh, the uh, – this straw argument is almost the same as the plastic bag argument. It is. No, it's 100 percent the same. Yeah. So uh, Dan Sanchez over at the, at the, Mises, at the Mises Institute and also um, – Doug French have both written some pretty good articles on that um, back when uh, I think it was in Wisconsin or somewhere that they were trying to ban plastic bags because they've also tried to do it in California a bunch of times too. And then there was like, I don't know if you remember this, but as a kid, I remember this. So there was a, there was a while where it wasn't the plastic bags that were the enemy. It was 
paper bags mm-hmm. because the paper bags were chopping all the trees down. Mm-hmm. So this is one of the reasons why they started using the plastic bags. And at least to, from my recollection, this is one of the reasons why plastic bags started becoming really big. But then everybody mm-hmm. was like, no, plastic bags are bad. So, so it's like eggs and egg whites. Yeah, exactly. Egg like, yeah, they're always switching <laughs> things over. So, um, so go check out the Mises Institute because they've got some really good articles on this. And our, one of our favorite economists of all time, um, uh, Walter Block is yes. like, is like the expert on libertarian environmentalism. Mm-hmm. That's one of his many areas of expertise. And he's written some, I think it's, it's called like Walter Block. Let me look it up real quick. I think it's called like libertarian environmentalism. Uh, but what you're saying is, is true is that so the problem with garbage in general so garbage trash is an economic calculation uh-huh. uh, and it's the same as like there's a water shortage in california there's a water shortage in spain the reason there's a water shortage is because the price is not allowed to float it's 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 mandated that water prices became come a certain point so the the water that's available is not necessarily used for its most economic purpose it's used for whoever gets it first. Mm-hmm. And so this is the same thing with trash. Trash is an economic calculation. Right now, the cost of disposing of trash is very low because it's it's subsidized by the government. Um, but so there, there's a possibility that in a libertarian society, there may be a really beneficial use for, and actually, as I've shared with you, I have an idea of how to monetize certain types of trash that is something mm-hmm. that I really want to get into. Um, but it may be that because trash is an economics calculation, that plastic straws do have a monetary value. And instead of worrying about people throwing straws away, you'll be, you'll, you as a consumer of straws will be worrying about who to sell your straws to when you're done with them. Mm-hmm. And this was, uh, the suggestion on, um, on, uh, plastic bags was to remove, you know, I think we actually Block made this point as well. Um, was to kind of remove the subsidy of throwing things away and allow the market to discover what the cost of throwing bags away were. If it costs, on average, five cents to dispose of a plastic bag, the grocery store is not going to give you a plastic bag. They're going to give you something else or they're going to charge you for the bags and then you'll think about maybe bringing a reusable bag. Mm-hmm. The same thing with straws. If it turns out that disposing of straws is very expensive because you know if you go out and litter, the government imposes a cost on you, but if you go out and litter in a free market society, that's trespassing. Mm-hmm. So the it, trespassing carries a much heavier fine than littering. Um, exactly. At least, at least, yeah. at least, because when when everything is owned, people have an incentive to make sure that that they take action on somebody littering. But when you litter on the public roads, well, everybody owns it equally, and most people are not affected by it, so they're not going to be encouraged to take action on it. Mm-hmm. Um, so. In a free market society, the roads are owned. If if the road owner finds out that like plastic bags are being disposed of or, or straws are being disposed of on their roads and they have an incentive to keep their roads beautiful so that people will use them, they're going to figure out a way to track down who's throwing shit out their windows of their cars or throwing them on the sidewalk or whatever, and they'll take action against those people. And that cost will be realized, and that cost will be built into the straws. So if it turns out that straws are, in fact, very expensive, and I don't know if they are or not because the government has removed the ability for us to discover the true price of straws, mm-hmm. if that's the case, then instead of giving straws away for free, you'll be charged for a straw. Well, not and, only did they re- remove the, the – so. I have a problem with the statement of part of that statement and it, and it's more of a, it's an esoteric, not esoteric, um, mm-hmm. structural problem. So I agree, but the price mechanism isn't necessarily because the, we, the part, it's partially obscured. 
Well, it, I think it's obscured in several ways. One is yes. the cost of disposing of trash is socialized. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. the second problem with it is that the commons is socialized. So well, it's hard so to identify not. what the pro – you won't take action because it's commons. So actually I think that people have a right to, to litter because if mm -hmm. you if everybody owns it equally, they should be allowed to use their property for what they want to use it for, but it causes a conflict of interest. So mm -hmm. if I own the road in, in equal amounts to you, owning the road and I want to use it as a dump and you want to use it to drive, well, we both own it equally. So whose yeah, who's decision gets to take priority? And, and see, here's the thing, is you're only looking at it from the, the standpoint of which the people attacking the argument or attacking the um, practice of giving straws out are the right. disposal of it. Like, look at the creation of it. Right. So, well, yeah, yeah, is, I don't know. So oil is subsidized, the road is That's subsidized, yeah. everything like that. Yeah. So one of the things that I what I was thinking about is like, why don't we have a price mechanism for straws? Right. So like, okay, you want a straw. They're not free. It's like refills. Right. Some places charge for refills. Some places don't. Mm -hmm. Some places are willing to eat the cost of the straw and others are not. Right. So they've apparently had a very effective, and I'll use the air quotes all over that, reduction in the use of plastic bags in a lot of European countries when they simply instituted the idea that you needed to pay five cents for the bag. Yeah. Right. And, you know, that's one of those ones where, like, does that make the retailer more profitable? Who knows? Because, like, one of the things that my wife and I do when we go to Kroger is we always tell the bagger, put as much crap into that bag as possible. <laughs> Because yeah. we don't want to carry a bunch of bags in the house. But we reuse the bags, you know, at least to pick up dog poop. Yeah. But, like, you know, when I accidentally let something go too long in the fridge, I bag it into the plastic bag and throw it away. Now, from your standpoint of one of your ideas, mm -hmm. you know, that's annoying because now the bag is – the food waste is trapped. Right. You can't Well, see, yeah, yeah. My, my idea wouldn't – that wouldn't be a problem with my idea because my idea is – I don't really mind sharing well, it. No, because, no, no, no. Like, like, yeah. yeah, let's not give out the idea. Okay. That's too good to waste. Okay. Um, and we can maybe discuss it on another episode. Okay. Because um, we have a couple more articles to get through. Yeah, yeah. And I haven't looked at the time. We've been going an hour at this point. Mm -hmm. um, and I think this is – this leads yeah, a little, well little, little less than my hour, but yeah, but pretty good. Yeah. I oh, think uh, this... Let me butt in though real quick because I yeah, – Yeah, no, please uh, do. That book by Walter Block, uh, mm -hmm. or it's a paper maybe, but it's uh, it's called Envir Environmental Environmentalism and Economic Freedom, The Case for Private Property Rights. And it's mm -hmm. specifically about environmentalism and how private property rights solves the majority of – things that people uh, complain about when it comes to environmentalism. Mm -hmm. So a couple of things. One, Walter Block is, as always, amazing Yep, and has some sort of basis to go on things. Right. It's kind of like Murray Rothbard, like except for Walter Block is much more academic on it. Yeah. Well, and he's just – the volume of work that mm -hmm. he had – like he – you know, I, I remember telling this on the show that I one time emailed him and mm -hmm. asked him a question about like how do you homestead – something for the pure enjoyment of nature like a, a park for example like a like mm -hmm. a, like you know going like um you know yosemite or something like that and he wrote back and he's like well actually i have an article about that it's in like this economics journal or whatever here's the link and it's like the just the pure vastness of things that he's written about is so crazy and i mean what what is it that he's had he's like 800 either authored or co-authored articles or something like that i thought it was 500 oh maybe it's that but I, I wouldn't be surprised if it was 800. Yeah, you know, it's like a lot. Yeah. 500 is in my head. But, you know, and this is not to detract from Walter. Yeah. But 
if you write an academic article and you present it to Walter and it's within the Austrian mindset and it's mm-hmm. as cogent to the positions that Walter has previously expressed as possible, right. even if like Walter just peer reviews it, he's willing to add his name to it. Yeah. He's willing to help out. So, but my understanding is he helps out way more than just that. But, right. You know, now if you presented the article and he's like, I have absolutely nothing to contribute here except for my name to get you more recognition. Right. Like, but I think Walter always has something to contribute because it's, you know, he, my understanding, at least from listening to him is he's, you know, clearly very grammatically good at right. you know, looking at the article and going, well, this is just misspelled or misstated yeah. right? And, and fixing structural things like that. But so chasinganarchy.com, we'll have a review of this wine that I've been enjoying. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll have links to at least some of these articles. Hopefully we'll remember to do the Walter uh, paper as well if possible. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to add that to the notes right now while you're while you're continuing. Okay. Yeah, so I was going to say if you can also add a link to the from the email to that article too, because I think that's a I think that's a really good a good paper to kind of talk about later too, because it's which one that's uh, the one about the homesteading a park. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's in like yeah. that's like in the Hungarian Review of Economics. I'll look it up. Yeah, yeah. That's what I'm saying. Just yeah. get that article as well. Sure. Yeah. So tastinganarchy.com. If you want to email us, tastinganarchy at gmail dot com. Um, if you're specifically writing to one of us to make a comment or, you know, having a discussion or something like that, uh, let us know because it's both, both of us are in, both of us are on the Gmail, but I think Jacob checks it way more frequently than mm-hmm. I do. And then, uh, if you want to see Jacob, uh, try to rile some people up and, or if you, uh, want to see some good people to follow on Twitter, uh, tasting anarchy at Twitter, uh, on Twitter, that's us. Well, that's Jacob going out there and, uh, trying to poke Nancy Pelosi in the face and, um, Feinstein because she's a, mm-hmm friggin' lunatic yeah. but uh so that's jacob on there if uh if you ever see anything that doesn't sound like it's jacob it's probably because somebody texted him something to post on there that doesn't make any sense to what he's been up to <laughs> it's just my random thoughts because i can't <laughs> yeah. figure out how twitter works um but yeah so you know definitely connect with us if you can if you, you have questions or thoughts or if, you know if there's a a bottle of wine you're interested in us trying you know we we have a, a pretty hard limit for anything you're going to suggest to us that's $20 or less. If you're interested in purchasing the wine for us, we, we certainly wouldn't say no. Um, now keep in mind, we both live in two different, uh, well, I live in a Commonwealth. You live in a state, yep. um, we're, you know, 2000 miles apart from each other. So we can't share <laughs> the bottle of wine really easily. Yeah. Um, but you know, we would certainly, uh, be, if you were to provide both of us a bottle of wine, uh, we would definitely try to get you involved in the discussion at least. So featuring guests that aren't, uh, Jacob's mom or Nate. Yeah. Um, but you know, we, we, we don't want to be, seem like we're just shouting into the void. Right. We, we do want to discuss things with people. We do, do want to talk. If you, if you think we've really missed the mark on something, especially if you think we've missed the mark on a, a wine, you know, maybe we've talked about your favorite wine or a wine that you can't even stand. And we're just like, Oh, it's amazing. Yeah. Um, we, we really would like to hear about that. And, you know, yes, we 
interesting. You know, if you listen to some of our back episodes, there are definitely episodes where we talk about a lot about mm-hmm. uh, putting up, you know, show notes and things like that. And uh, we've gotten our act together much better in, in yeah. regard to these the, this episode. And uh, basically, since Jacob's moved, we've been a lot better about that and remembering to do stuff and pre pre talk about things to yep. kind of guide the show. A yeah, bit. yeah. I mean, at um, least at, at the very least, I'm getting the episodes up on a regular basis. I'm gonna mm-hmm. I have one to post after we're done here, and um, and then I'm gonna go ahead and edit one more for next week since we'll probably be skipping that week in um, mm. I guess in chronology, but we'll we have so many episodes in the you know in reserve that we'll go ahead mm-hmm. and post. Well, we won't miss a week. So we'll yeah. be here every yeah. week with some sort of wine discussion and energy yeah. discussion. Yeah. Now you you may be going like they're talking about podcasts that are super far in the back. Um, so you know, um, we do have a follow a lot of podcasts, and uh, Jacob's new job allows him a little more freedom with uh, the podcast listening. So, yep. Yep. Um, you know, if you've got a libertarian and anarchist podcast, or heck, if you're a socialist and and you think you have a response to everything we've ever brought up. And you're willing to, you know, you've got your best foot forward. Let us know. Yep. We'll, you know, we'll give it a fair shake. I think, I think both both Mason and I are talkers. So uh-huh. if uh-huh. Uh, somebody, even if you're a socialist, if you want to, if you want to talk and have a discussion, you know, uh-huh. I mean, this thing is like you and me, Mason. As, as much as we have in common, we also have a lot that is not in common. And you and mm-hmm. I are best friends, mm-hmm. and so like you and I, you know, you've got a pretty devout Christian and an atheist together mm-hmm. doing a show, who agree on politics but don't agree on a lot of other stuff. But you know, so I'm very, I guess, even with like socialists or something like that, like very congenial. Um, yeah, I mean, we're. I don't think either of us are. I am much better at it now than I used to be. Yeah, we are. You know, like at work this last week, I got upset several times because of people just not recognizing that everyone's busy everyone's got stuff going on you don't need to ask me stupid questions right and several people are like i've never seen mason get upset before and it's like yeah when i first met jacob i was a raging jackass (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah, i could be very congenial and i've tried to be and i think i am much more now but like i i don't describe myself as a nice person but like I really am a nice person. Like I, I definitely am much more like, Oh, like, let's talk about this. Sure. But if you're going to present a socialist argument or, or something that isn't an anarchist argument, uh-huh. be prepared for us to present detailed reasoned like responses that may take the form of an entire book. Like just yeah. know that like, we care about people in the streets. We care about children getting fed. We care about all of that. Right. And, we feel that we care about it more than you do because of our position of, and I'll use Jason's thing, you know, we don't keep kill people and we don't take their stuff. Right. Like <laughs> that's how Jason describes it. So if you take your framework and you can present your framework in such a way that you are not taking my stuff, if I say no, right. And you're not killing me in response to me saying no. And you think you can present an argument outside of what we presented, then, Hey, please do. Yeah, and, like, wh- well, and yeah, to tag onto that though, one more before we, before we move on is, uh-huh. you know, uh, Walter Block recently had a interview with Tom Woods, and it reminded absolutely one of the best. Oh yeah, great! Like, he's a speedwalker. I think that's hilarious, but and, and, and just awesome. Uh, and it's over. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, he always he's always reminded me so much of my family, the Jewish side. 
Uh-huh. And, uh, and he's very Jewish and just like, they're all swimmers. They're all into like speed walking type things, like kind of, uh, and they're also all academics. So uh-huh. he, he's always reminded me a little bit of that. And, and he, he sounds, uh, he's, you know, my, my grandfather was from, or well, he was from, uh, I guess Germany, Austria, Hungary, that area, um, uh-huh. Czechoslovakia, all countries that don't exist anymore. But, uh, well, Germany does, I guess, but, and so does uh, Austria. Well, Austria Hungary. Uh, uh, yeah, I'm sorry. But, yeah. <laughs> but uh but um one of the th- you know, he grew up in Brockton, which is, you know, the northeast. He grew you know, he he moved to the United States, I think when he was seven or something like that, and um and then went back. But anyways, that's besides the point. The, what I'm saying is like to steal from that thing is one of the things that happened uh to Block when, you know, he was a young socialist before he became a you know, one of the greatest Austrians. Um and one of the guys who converted him said uh promise me two things is you'll read you'll read what i ask you to read or read two books yeah, two books two books that i ask you to read and that we won't stop talking until one of us is convinced the other and i uh-huh. and i've used this several times before and a lot of times that ends the conversation but uh if you, if you do email us and you're you know a socialist or whatever or, or more of a sadist than we are because mason and i are both very congenial and i don't plan on ganging up on you and i don't think mason plans on ganging up on you or anything like that is don't let the conversation end until one of us convinces the other. And it may be that, you know, 50 years from now, because I plan to be alive, we'll still be discussing the same topic if I don't convince you. And that's my fault that I haven't convinced you because I think that these arguments are very solid. Mm-hmm. And then one more thing to add that's not related to that is uh, the article that Walter Block wrote for How to Homestead Nature Preserves. It's called mm-hmm. it's called Popsicle Sticks and Homesteading Land for Nature Preserves. It's published in the Romanian Economic Business Review. <laughs> So I, I will add that I will add that to the list. Oh wow! So speaking of Tom Woods, um, you don't listen to Scott Horton as frequently as I do, no. but you listen to many more other libertarian podcasts that I don't even consume. Well, I, I would and, I would say that you and I probably listen to roughly the same number of libertarian podcasts, but um, I listen to three. Okay, well maybe I do listen to more. I listen yeah. to a lot of podcasts that are political but are not necessarily libertarian yeah so like i i listened to tom woods i listened to jason though i didn't listen all last week and i listened to scott now i have tasting anarchy i've listened to the like or not tasting anarchy that's us that's (laughs) uh minds of liberty i really do enjoy them i just don't always i'm not always interested in their guests and Mm -hmm. as much as i really do enjoy brian mcwilliams point of view and his the way he speaks yeah I really like when he interacts with somebody. I right. think he needs a little bit of a foil because he gets so worked up and it's like, dude, just, yeah, you need somebody else. And then it's it, as much as I like true crime stuff, the felony Friday is so depressing. <laughs> it, it can, it can be very depressing. And, and yeah. I actually, those, those two, I don't listen to as frequently as I listen to the interviews that Mark Claire mm-hmm. does. Um, yeah. I usually I'll read the summary, and if it's something that's mm. interesting to me, I probably do listen to uh, Brian McWilliams more than I listen to um, Felony Friday. John Odermatt. Yeah, John Odermatt. Um, because, and you, you know this just from knowing me for a long time, true crime, like, it either scares me or it depresses me, mm-hmm. and I don't like feeling like that. So a lot of yeah. times I won't. I, I, like the, I like the guy who he had on last time who was in jail for, like, 15 years or something. And then got out and has started a a program that like helps people go from jail to like work. And I thought that was very yeah. a very interesting interview. And that's one of the things I really like about the Lions Liberty podcast, especially Felony Friday, is like Felony Friday represents something so completely. It's like our show, yeah. in my opinion. 
it's something so completely different because of like the, the main focus is on like stopping recidivism mm-hmm. and like showing people that just because you the state railroaded you and, mm-hmm. and you know we fully agree that they did don't give them an excuse to take you back right like don't give them an excuse to steal more of your life and that's one of the things i find super amazing but so scott horton you know really anti-war and you know i like i'm ashamed of how little i know compared to like just the mere mention when he starts like rattling you know oh my the intervention gosh, yeah. and, and things the u.s did and i'm just like f <laughs> like i have no idea but um he was recently talking to um somebody about the ross Ulbricht case and that kind of reminded me of like one of the things that i personally feel that i failed to do is mentioned to our listeners every time that ross Ulbricht is in jail and is was basically put in jail by the most corrupt investigation you've ever heard of. And if you looked at that investigation and I told you it was a Russian investigation, you would say, yeah, sure, that makes sense. But when you understand it's the United States government that put this man in jail for something that, like, there were five people who had access to the Dread Pirate Roberts login. Yeah. And one of which was a DEA agent who is in jail currently. Right. Any other time that the people who are investigating you have gone to jail for crimes they committed during the investigation, mm-hmm. you couldn't be in jail. Right. Like the it is so to not that I owe Lynn Ulbrich anything, but I think as a person we all owe Lynn Ulbrich and Ross Ulbrich something because these are things that are executed in our names. I am so sorry for not bringing this up every time. Right. Like I I like you know I, I texted you the other day. If Trump reduced the nuclear arsenal to 10, just any weapons, any 10 nuclear weapons, whatever size, to just 10 out of the 4,000 or whatever, like, would you vote for him again? And both of our responses was yes. Yeah. I didn't didn't even really take time to think. Like, it was just, I remember you texted it, and I saw it, and I was like, yep. Yeah. And I almost feel that if he pardoned Ross Ulbrich, I would do the same thing, because I think it would set such a precedent in the legal system. Well, you like, know what? Actually, I vote for him again. And this, like, sort- I, know, I didn't vote for him to begin with. But yeah, but you know what? That what's interesting about that uh, is, and and you know, God forbid, uh, I was reading an article this last week, and and I'd have to look it up again. But it was something like there's been like a sixty percent increase in reports of sexual assault in prison, mm-hmm. and and you know, and it's part of a, you know, I always want to bring this up, and I I think I always forget, but there. America has a very, a very, uh, I guess popular culture of TV shows being like, uh, do you want to go to, you know, like you watch Law and Order or whatever and, they, and they're like trying to intimidate the guy into confessing or whatever and they're like, do you want to go to jail? You know what they do to boys like you in jail? And it's like the implication mm-hmm. is like, you're going to go to jail and you're going to get raped, right? Yeah. And, uh, and, and Grant, like, I don't know why this, I think Ross Ball, all, all, Ulbricht's been in jail for six years, four years or six years now. Several years uh, at this 2012, point. 2012, 2013, five? Yeah, oh, so five years. So, Me, yeah. So he's been he, in jail never, for a while. He never got parole. Right. So he's been in jail for a while. And, but the, the, in our popular culture, that's what they always say. And if you look at the rape statistics, if you include prison, men are raped more frequently than women. Mm-hmm. And, um, now granted, like prison, I would say prison rape is probably different. Also, it's hard to tell if it's true or not. But, 
and and also I, I would I would also though on the flip side of that be more inclined that the prison officials don't report it as frequently as it happens because they mm-hmm. they don't really give mm-hmm. a shit about those people. But um, you think about like our system is is such that one of the biggest threats that they give to you when they're trying to get a confession out of you or something like that is that you're going to get raped. Yeah, like we're going to take you away from the safety of your own home, mm-hmm. the comfort of your family. We're going to put you in a place you cannot leave, and we are going to provide you no adequate means to defend yourself. And should you defend yourself, we'll also keep you there longer. Yeah, and and like, and, and and the implication is to that we're going to put you in a cage, and it's very likely that you're going to be raped. And if yeah. if the statistics that they're reporting now are to be believed, it's a, it's a sixty percent probability, I guess, or a sixty percent rate of Maybe I'm not reading the statistics correctly, but if 60% of people are sexually assaulted in prison, you have more than a 50-50 chance of being raped in prison. Yeah, I think that's I think that number is high based on an informal like people yeah. when they go like what's the worst thing that happened to you in prison like hash credit threat right or like you know what's something you gotta look, watch out for prison a lot of the people and they they may not be telling the truth but yeah. you know like it's anonymity of Reddit like a lot of them are like yeah that does happen but it's not the way people project it to be right. And, okay, well, that could be. And they're, they're like, it's dangerous, and it can happen. Like, if you go looking for it, it will happen to you. Right. But if you go in not looking for it, then it's very possible it won't happen to you. Mm-hmm. So, like, I, I think it's, like, I don't know the definitions of the words they used from a legal standpoint. Right. Like, sexual assault as opposed to rape. Like, to me, it's all rape. Yeah. Like, I, I, I don't, like, I'm sure there's some sort of legalese difference, but, like, in a libertarian anarchist society it's all sexual it's rape right there's no there's no difference yeah well i mean it doesn't really matter what it is property rights violation and 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 that and it but it it makes it worse when it's a property rights of your body so like um, you know violence against your body or violence well i mean i guess violence uh, there's no like you know the whole like you're not assaulted if somebody calls you a name but you're assaulted yeah. if somebody harms your body. It's not that it, it's not that it, they're harming, harming your body. That's the problem. It's that it's a violation of your property. But your body is so close to you, mm-hmm. you know. And mm-hmm. if you and if you're a materialist or whatever, that is you. So, exactly. and it's yeah, uh, so. you know for you know for a non-materialist like me, like that's where I reside. Like that's where my spirit is or whatever. But for like a for like you know a. A mater- like a, a, you know, I guess you'd be more of a materialist. Like for somebody who's more of a materialist, it's like, no, this is me. Like this is and, a concept I've never even considered. So <laughs> okay, <laughs> well that's like so. I guess like you know like um who's that like really popular atheist right now who's um uh who's like in like involved with the whole free speech thing. Um, is it Richard Dawkins? No, 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 no. Dawkins actually has gone nuts. Like he's got a whole weird thing going on. But no, it's uh oh, I mean, Sam, Sam, uh, Sam. Well, yeah, yes, Sam Harris, Sam Harris, who's like mm-hmm. who's like a real hardcore materialist or whatever. Like from from, and I've always thought about this. Like for atheists, is that like uh, or or even just agnostics or whatever? Is if you don't believe in the concept of a spirit or a soul, it's even more personal when somebody harms your body because it's the closest property to you. Well, you know. You know, so the difference is, you know how much I like psychedelics. Right. So for me, it's disengaging the the driver's seat because yeah. I, I don't think I'm necessarily materialist because I recognize we don't know what makes the mind. Right. 
like, yes, we know chemical, biological, electrical reactions, the mind happens. We understand that from the best we can understand from metaphysical world and everything, mm -hmm. that the stuff you're experiencing is outside of you. Like, you know, me drinking this glass of wine, sitting in a chair, like, those aren't me. The glass of wine is not me. It's, it's something else. So... I think I'm less of a materialist than one would expect, but for right. me, well, I mean, there, there are, there are, yeah, there, are, yeah, there are non-materialist atheists. So, I mean, I'm just mm -hmm. saying, like, from a materialist perspective, and I don't know how we got off on that. It's probably because you know we're both drinking, but like that, that whole concept to me has always been like not to use like this whole like lefty perspective or whatever. So offensive that, like, that it's not just something that's portrayed on TV. It's like it's ingrained in our culture that. The expectation is that if you violate the government's wishes, you're going to be raped. On top of having spent hundreds of thousands of dollars to try to stop it from happening. Right, exactly. Despite all of these other things. And that's what, like, so I remembered who Scott Horn was talking to. And it's somebody that I knew existed, but I, like, I haven't dealt much into his stuff, but I'm thinking I'm going to. Matt's Raider. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I follow him on Twitter. Yeah, yeah, so he's Scott like, a, he's, didn't he write uh, for... Freedom through meme dumb, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that book. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, so Tom, Jason, Dave, Mark, and Matt's Raider did a joint podcast together about why they joined the Libertarian Party recently. Right. Oh, Matt's Raider also joined? Mm -hmm. Oh, I didn't hear that podcast. Yeah. That's yeah, interesting because so, uh, he, he's a pretty hardcore anarchist also. Yeah, so Matt's, Jason, Mark, Dave, and um, Tom, they're all posting this episode to as a collective. Wow. So they're all posting it to their individual feeds. So I'm going to download that because that sounds really interesting. This was, yeah, this was Tom's Friday episode. Oh, cool. Um, I think it was the Monday Lions of Liberty episode. I do listen to part of the problem sometimes, mm -hmm. um, but I think Dave is really good with a guest um, or, you know, he's a little too long format sometimes for me. Oh, got it. Okay. But I really like him. It's just like I wish I knew him because I wish I could talk to him. It's mm -hmm. like, hey, like, I'm not understanding this. And he seems to have, like, really good memory, too. Right. So, but, so Mance was talking to Scott about this, and he was the one who was talking to, about the Lars Ulrich thing. Um, and one of the things that they were talking about is, like, the idea of a bad cop. Right. And, like, you don't hear about, like, a bad airline pilot. Like, you demand excellence from your airline pilot, and if they're not a good pilot, you want them to F out. Right. Why is it yeah. different for cops? Yeah. Like, why should there be, like... Oh, man, this, this is like, this is a great topic as we go on because I have an interesting mm -hmm. story locally. Well, so we are at the hour and... 25, yeah. Almost yeah. hour and half mark, so let's hear the story. But so, like, real quick, like, man, so I was saying, like, basically, and he, I, I think he was saying this was someone else's idea, which is, if he wasn't, I'm sorry to misattribute your idea, mm -hmm. but if it is, I'm sorry for not attributing it to the person he said it came from. But, like, the idea that, like, you know, it's okay to have a bad apple when it comes to, like, a cop, but not an airline pilot. And we all know that there are crappy airline pilots out there. We, right. You know, recognize what he's saying. But, like, you hear about, like, oh, the bad apple in the police force. Sure. It's like, and, like, somebody was talking about, like, Serpico recently. Mm -hmm. And it was, like, a movie. They were talking about, like, Serpico or something. Scario. Guy. No, Serpico is the, the guy's name. Oh, oh, I thought you were talking about the movie. Yeah, no, the, the, the guy's name is Serpico. That's oh, the movie. Serpico? Okay, I haven't seen that. That's I saw Scario. Yeah. Okay. Anyways, continue. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. So it's just this New York cop who's like, acts like a lone wolf and does all this crazy crap. And like, okay. like, he goes after these people who are rapists, but like, he also like, breaks a law and a bunch of property rights, ways to catch these rapists. Like, you know, just this 
like lone wolf cop and you would consider him a bad egg or a mm-hmm. bad apple but like the rest of the cops are even worse apples right like this guy's insane but like these other people are even worse because they're like no 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 like don't bother with this because it's not our job because it's one police district over which is 10 feet away mm-hmm. so what's this uh i want to hear about local dallas news well this is local dallas news meaning very local to victory park where i live and um mm-hmm. so you know I, I think i've talked to you a little bit about this is that they've got it's like semi-private uh it's like a semi-private neighborhood mm-hmm. so the roads are technically public uh but it's been developed by a private company and the private company kind of provides a lot of the services in the area Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, I, I'd take my dog for a walk at, you know, 5.30 a.m. or something like that, maybe 6 a.m. And while I was walking her, uh, we went to, we were walking down kind of the main, the main street area where a lot of the restaurants and stuff are. And there was a, um, a homeless guy there and the homeless guy like i had my headphones on so i don't know what he was saying exactly but he kept like pointing up and then like saying something and then like pointing up and saying something so i like took my headphones up off and he was and it, it's very unusual for there to be homeless people in my area mm-hmm. but i you know so I, and he and he looked like he might not exactly be homeless he just kind of looked like maybe he was like in workout clothes or something i'm not sure but so i took mm-hmm. my things off but then i saw he had a big bag with him and mm-hmm. uh so he was homeless and he he wasn't making any sense. He was just going like, and, uh, like pointing, like pointing up and up toward like the top of a building. And like, mm-hmm. I had no idea what he's talking about. And then coming, he was on the opposite side of the street than me or from me. And then coming from, you know, down the street to private security guards mm-hmm. and the private security guards come to the guy and go, sir, um, you know, you, you can't be here, uh, if you're not conducting business, uh, or if you don't live in the area, so you need to move on. And he's just like pointing up at them and going like, like, he just wasn't making any sense, like crazy or on drugs or something. I don't know what, what his problem was, but you know, something was wrong with him. Uh, and it, and it wasn't like he was speaking a foreign language. It was like, he's clearly something's wrong with him. And, uh, and you don't hear well. So, so. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, so anyways, they, they're they kind of like, okay, you got to move along. So he moves along. And, you know, no no conflict or anything. But I was like, hmm, like how do I feel about this? Since like on the one hand, like he's homeless. So like I would like somebody to be able to like, he, you know, and he wasn't doing anything. He was just kind of hanging out. Um, uh-huh. But on the other hand, it is private. So I went over and talked to the security guards. I was just across the street. And, and I was like, hey, uh, are, do you guys do security for this area? And they were like, they were like, yeah, yeah. Um uh, do you, are you a, you know, like a, not a citizen, but are you like a resident of the area? And I said, yeah, yeah, I, I live over in the arpeggio over there, which is, you know, the low rise apartments over here. And, uh, and they're like, oh, okay. Um, you know, you can, you know, it's fine for you to just be walking around or whatever. You don't have to be conducting business or anything here is if you live here, you, you, you know, you're allowed to walk around, but we've been told, you know, if, if there's homeless or, uh, people who, you know, are drunk or don't belong here, you know, they've got to move along. Uh-huh. Um, and he's like, we're not, you know, we don't have the power to arrest anybody or anything like that. Uh, if there's a big problem, you know, we, we, they, and they all carry guns. Uh, they're like, if there's a big problem and violence ensues, you know, obviously we're so going to, real gonna, quick. Yeah. I physically reacted when you said they all carry guns. Yeah. Like kind of like, Huh. Yeah. Well, it's Texas, man. So, well, I mean, it's Virginia. It's that's true. Yeah. Concealed carry. Yeah. Well, yeah, they're they're all open. They're all open carry. Uh, but they mm-hmm. they're like, you know, our first priority is to try to get them to move along because we don't want the liability on the company. It was really an interesting talk. I'd actually love to ha- like go if I if I become friends with these guys. But they they all they both looked like they were like 
ex ex high school football players or whatever. They were like kind of buff, but like kind of fat too. Uh-huh. Uh, but uh, you know, they were like, our, you know, our first job is to try to get them to move along peacefully. If they don't move along peacefully, uh, you know, we we have to call the cops. Um, but if they become violent, then we're supposed to use non lethal means at first, and then lethal means. So they had like on one side they had like a taser, and on the other side a gun. Uh-huh. So like, so he's like, but most of the time in this area, you know, the homeless kind of know they're not supposed to be here. Um, and uh, if we ask them to leave, they'll leave. Uh, but they come here, and and a lot of times because it's comfortable, it's clean, and it's and because it's, it's semi private, so we have private guys who go around and, and sweep up the sidewalks and sweep up the streets, and um, it's it's clean and it's uh, you know relatively comfortable. There's a lot of green spaces, so they can just kind of lay down on the grass, and it's and that's comfortable for them. And it's cool because there's a lot of open AC vents along the walking areas. Huh. Uh, Especially over by the, um, over by the stadium. So they can go over to the stadium and if they're, if it's really, really hot, they can go stand over one of the open AC vents and it's, it's very cool. Um, uh-huh. and so they say like it, it's very attractive to homeless people, but because it's a private area, we've been encouraged to kind of move them along. And I just was thinking like how much of a contrast that is to the police because there are a lot of police in this area too and they just drive through. Uh-huh. But with like the private security, they do exactly what they're hired to do and that is, Make sure that drunks are not causing problems because there's bars here. And secondary, like, make sure the residents are safe. And part of the of making sure the residents are safe is making sure that they get what they pay for, which is a nice place to walk their dogs in the morning or, and in the so, evening and, you know, that sort of thing. And So my one, my one thought is ahead of time. So yeah. sorry to interrupt. No, go ahead. We'll, we'll come back. Is So if you know that Jacob's security force covers mm. this area – Mm-hmm. And as a police officer, you don't have to dedicate the resources to ground patrol there. Are you just more efficiently allocating your resources? Oh, yeah. Or or are you not allocating resources because you, you can't do it? You know right. what I mean? Like, so the classic you and I thinking, like, there's a guy just wasting our money, whereas the cop's like, no, 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 like, just outside of this border where the homeless guy actually goes and causes problems because it's not as nice. Right. That's where I'm going. Like, they shoot him along. Yeah. I saw that. I'm tracking him out of the area. Right. Could be. Like, you know, so that that's a good question. Yeah. Well, you know, and I don't know the answer to that, uh, and and I hope that that is the case. I have a feeling that it's not, <laughs> but well, uh, I, but it could be. I it, good... You know, I I really don't know how the police work here. I've I've you know not really had any run-ins with them. The the majority of the run-ins with the police I've had here so far are when they're providing off-duty security for the events at the stadium, uh-huh. and you know they're and they're all very cordial. So. Um, and, but there's, there's just this area. And then next to my area, Victory Park is where I live. Next to it is Harwood, which is another Mm -hmm. semi-private neighborhood. Same thing. It's just, it's just crawling in private security. Mm -hmm. And which like on the one hand, it's kind of, it's a little off-putting, but on the other hand, like if I, when I have Victoria with me and we're going to dinner or something, I like it. And, um, so you know and and also we have almost no homeless people here here and the one of the reasons we chose to live here as opposed to living in a high rise downtown which you know we could afford this one or we could we could definitely afford the high rise downtown was uh-huh. the at night when we went to the high rise downtown it was crawling and homeless uh-huh. and no private security there's private security in the building but outside of the building oh, yeah, there yeah. wasn't and um and through talking to different people and stuff like that in the area when when we were uh, here visiting, uh, before I got a job, um, they were saying, okay, yeah, you really don't want to live downtown. 
there's there's a couple of homeless shelters down there and the homeless shelters are day shelters so as soon uh-huh. as as soon as it closes everybody who's been hanging out there all day long they just funnel out and and you know as, as sad as it is a lot of them are drug addicts or or crazy that they should be you know getting some sort of mental assistance um you know and i would be more than willing to you know help fund a catholic or protestant charity or you know or muslim i don't really care what religion some sort of charity that gives them uh-huh. adequate mental health care um because like this dude who was like walking around pointing up to the sky or up, up to the top of the building who knows what he was saying like he was trying to communicate yeah. something but you know, and this is he's, sort trying to, he's trying to tell somebody that there's a suicide happening. Yeah, yeah and he might be. Yeah, who knows? Like, yeah. and like I was, I looked up the building. Like, I couldn't figure out what he's talking. But he could, he could also be trying to communicate that like that's where the space aliens or the lizard people live or something like that. You know, you, mm-hmm. you, you have no idea. And this this used to happen when I would go up and visit Victoria in New York. Is you had these homeless people, and they were very clearly insane or or strung mm-hmm. out. You know, one of the two. And you know, when you're you know, if you came and visited me when I was, yeah, you might as well be insane. Yeah, exactly. I mean, like if I was like on like a heavy psychedelic trip on mushrooms or something like that. Like DMT is different because like I'm not moving at that point. But like if I was like. Or like LSD or something, en- enough LSD that I could still be moving around, but I didn't know what's going on. Yeah, yeah, might as well be insane. That's part of the point. But uh, the but in this case, like you know, I pay a decent amount for rent, and I expect the neighborhood to be safe for my wife to walk at night. And I appreciate that there are security guards here. On, on the opposite side, when it's the police, I do appreciate the service that they're providing most of the time. What I don't appreciate is like them enforcing laws that I that does don't make my life better. Yeah. You know? And, and then, I guess and that's, that's sort of the, the juxtaposed or whatever. And that's one of the problems with, like, I don't have a problem that there's private security. But, like, the private company is benefiting from the fact that the government built the roads. Well, and, these the roads here are actually not uh, – are semi-public. They are thoroughfares, but they're not um, they're not uh, maintained by the government. Huh. Yeah, at least in, in Victory Park and Harwood. They're private. So I thought you had said the government built the roads there. So maybe, they did. They did originally. So like it's it's weird the way that it works. So like so the government here maintains like the freeways and like mm-hmm. the roads. And then when they and then when they have these like incorporated neighborhoods, mm-hmm. it, it's it's weird. It's weird. And I don't really fully understand it. So I could be saying this wrong. When an incorporated mm-hmm. neighborhood comes in, what they do is they buy the area and they're responsible for maintaining everything in the area, including the roads. But the roads are semi-public. So they are thoroughfares. People, ha- you can't like block the roads. But okay, so I can't. You, if I'm a Virginia citizen, yeah, you can't stop me from driving through on my Virginia car. Yeah, just because you want to. Right, okay. but but you're but, res- like, but you're you responsible to get for the hell off the sidewalk. Sure, exactly, and and you're responsible for like maintaining the roads. So like, there's no potholes mm. in my neighborhood. All the roads here are really nicely done. But if you just go down the street and around the corner, it it's uh, city maintained and it's like a shit. Like it's like there's like potholes everywhere and cracks and and it's really hot here, so the roads kind of like. Uh, although I guess it's a I, I don't know what causes the problems with the roads here. It, maybe it's underfunding or something. I don't know, but like. As soon as you get to the public roads, like the city maintained roads, it's awful. But in uh-huh. in Victory Park and Harwood, it's great. And they're actually they're redoing the road up by and there was nothing wrong with it. I'm not sure why they're redoing it, but they're redoing the road up by the stadium, like two blocks up from where I am. They're redoing the middle uh-huh. lane because I guess the middle lane had something wrong with it, like a crack. But instead of just filling the crack, they they're taking out the entire section and replacing it and making it smooth again. Huh. It's really it's really weird. And then like the there's a there's a hiking trail here, and the hiking trail is also semi public so it's a uh-huh. it's, it's a public hiking trail called katie trail but
but it's maintained by a charitable organization called the Friends of the Katy Trail, and it's uh-huh. and it's maintained beautifully. Like, it, there's nothing wrong with it. It's great. It's uh-huh. really it's really unusual. Like, it's, it's weird the way that the city runs compared to like where I've lived before. So it sounds like America. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Like what, what the country is supposed to be like. Yeah. Yeah. It's very different. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, and they do have a lot of stuff that's similar to like the way that Virginia did things. There are public, like publicly maintained roads, um, mm. like the Harry Hines, it's called Harry Hines Boulevard or Harry Hines Freeway or something like that. It's like mm. the, it's like the, the feeder road to the freeway. That's, mm. that's maintained by the city and it's, it's not in great condition and they're always working on it. Like it, I mean, I guess I haven't been here that long, but from what people at work tell me is that, oh yeah, there's construction there all the time. Yeah. But, and that's one of those ones where like one of the, one of the things that I, I will admit, and I don't like to admit it, yeah. is there's a lot of economic calculation that goes into cities and the way they calculate things and the way they do things. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of times where, like, and I, I think it's because the cities aren't incorporated as a corporation the way they should be, mm-hmm. the city ends up taking a lot of the piss from a crappy company. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, like, we purposely funnel our trucks to this road because the city maintains it, and we don't, and it's not one of our roads. You know what I mean? Like, where the the city stupidly has accepted responsibility for something, which I don't think they should be allowed to do to begin with. Right. But because they've accepted the responsibility for it, the corporations are abusing that privilege. Mm-hmm. and. I hate the way that sounds, but like yeah. we all know when like it, that's the thing about crony capitalism. Like, oh yeah, 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 just dump your your waste on us, right? Like, because that's one of the things that like when you own a business in Virginia here, like the you can get a city trash can, but you can't get an industrial trash can. Like the city doesn't do those. That's all private. But right. I don't believe there's a private landfill for most of it. Like I'm not, that's the thing I'm not 100% sure on. Like right. where does yeah. the waste that they collect go? Well, and I guess that's, that's probably a good way to end this is sort of part yeah. of the issue with the state is the economic distortion makes it very difficult to make economic decisions one way or the other. Correct. Yes. All right. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I think that's, that's a great, that's a great place to end. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. All that right. So, a, uh, a great place to end. Yep. So, check us out on, um, Also, you can follow us on Twitter at tastinganarchy. Um, uh-huh. and, um, mm-hmm. you can email us at tastinganarchy at gmail.com. Uh, yes. I'll, I, I check that relatively frequently. So, if, um, you send uh-huh. me a message, I will try to reply to you. And if, uh, I don't reply to you, it's either because I'm too busy or because I think that you're trolling me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's kidding. I'm just kidding. Even yeah. trolls I reply to. So, yeah. uh, I guess that's it. to be trolled back. Yeah, just be, yeah, exactly. So, uh, that's it for me. Anything else to add, Mason? Uh, so, uh, we're abolitionists. Yeah. Uh, All right. Have a great night. Drink Drink it, man. Oh, give me some of that slaw. Oh, pass that bottle to me. If you want to get along in Peter's town, buy some wine and pass it around. The age runs up to 49. All them cats, they love sweet wine. Drinking wine for the Yodi, drink wine. Wine for the Yodi, drink wine. Wine for the Yodi, drink wine. Pass that bottle to me. Hoy! Wine, wine, wine. Elderberry. Wine.
Cherry cherry. Blackberry. Horton sherry. Oh, pass that ball to me. Now down on Gilsby at Willie's Den. He wasn't selling for the American chin. One soldier wanted a bottle of wine. He hit that cat for a dollar and a dime. I drank a wine for the other drink wine. Wine for the other drink wine. Wine for the other drink wine. Pass that ball to me. Now I got a nickel. Have you got a dime? Let's get together and get some wine. Some by fifth and some by four. When you get together, you're doing things smart. Drinking wine for the other drink wine. Wine for the other drink wine.